0: Hey Veritas, how are you doing? Um, obviously, I'm not present with you. I actually yesterday uh, started feeling a little under the weather, so to err on the side of caution, decided it'd probably be good just to um, do this uh, through through video instead of being present with you. Um, this week we're in 1 Corinthians seven. If you have a Bible uh, open there, and uh, today we're going to be talking about sex. Paul's having the sex talk with us, and so. Uh, as if it was not already awkward enough to, to preach through this, uh, we're doing it through video, so we'll see how this goes. But um, yeah, I was actually um, sharing this this sermon, some of the thoughts with my wife, and then all the kids came in, and uh, it ended up making for a great discussion for our family. Uh, this is something we need to talk about, and um, our kids are going to be asking questions, uh, people are curious, and they're going to Google to find the answers. Uh, But we actually find this this morning that God's word speaks to us on this. So this is God's word. We're just going to work through it verse by verse here. We'll start in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 7. Now in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to use a woman for sex. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband now it likely that first verse is a question they're they're asking uh, well, with all the immorality, is it good that people would just not have sex at all um, because you know maybe maybe they thought um, it'd be good paul's saying, flee sexual immorality, so maybe it's just good to not have sex at all, but actually um what we find here in Paul's answer to this is that the message of, of Christianity is not in the midst of all the sexual confusion and chaos in our, in our world, just run away from it altogether. He's saying, no, enjoy it in its proper, appropriate context. So the first point, if you're taking notes, is that marriage is God's idea and the only appropriate context for sex. Marriage is God's idea. We see this in Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This marriage between one man and one woman is God's idea. Humans didn't invent this. It's not government that uh, makes people married or not married. This is, this is God's institution and in design. And so Paul is encouraging this. Uh, sex in the context of marriage. Now, uh, have you ever taken something good and used it outside of its appropriate context? Well, think about this. How did you get here this morning? Well, the way that you got here is you were propelled here by a series of little explosions between gas and fire, right? And you're saying, I don't think, I don't think so. Well, unless you walked here or biked here uh, or drove a Tesla or something like that. Uh, Yes, a series of little explosions in the combustion engine is what got you here this morning. Gas and fire is great in the context of of a combustion engine. Uh, However, as I learned when I was uh, going into my sophomore year of college, I took some gas and I threw it on a grill. Uh, not thinking the coals were going and this exploded on me It landed on my leg and ended up uh, burning myself pretty severely. And after surgery and skin grafts, basically a year of my life um, that, that I suffered the consequences for that decision to throw gas on fire. So outside of its appropriate context, gas and fire is dangerous. But when we talk about sex, it's not, you know, our sex talks um, often um, in Christianity, it's like it's like gas is bad, run from gas, flee from gas, stay away from gas. But Paul's saying here, in its context, sex is good in marriage. So Paul's answer to the Corinthians um, is here, in its context, sex is good in marriage. Proverbs 6 uses this, um, this metaphor of fire, of what I was just talking about. Um, in Proverbs 6, 25 through 29, he says, don't lust in your heart for her beauty and, or let her captivate you with her eyelashes. For a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. Can a man embrace fire his clothes not be burned can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet so it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife no one who touches her will go unpunished this is a warning here that we should not be messing around with sex because it will hurt us in the same way gas and fire outside of their context will hurt people pornography sleeping or living together um, for, for uh, couples who are not married. Um, he's saying here, you can't throw gas on fire and expect it to not ruin your life. So that's the first point, is that because sexual immorality is so common, the solution is not to run away from it altogether, but it's to run toward it in its appropriate context. So he c- continues in verse three, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise, a wife to her husband. Paul's saying here, in English, married people should have sex. It's their duty. Actually, he, he uses this phrase, literally, it says, the payment of what is due. Now, I don't necessarily like this obligation language, but here it is. Paul saying, this is this is the duty within a marriage now i remember uh, some of you young people might be thinking to yourself duty are you kidding me in marriage uh, i think sex is probably the least dutiful thing you'd have to do in a marriage i remember um one of my uh a pastor friend when i was young he was he was mentoring me you know he said he said i know mark you won't believe this as a single young man uh but you know when couples are dating or engaged and I can't get them to keep their hands off each other. And once they get married, I can't get them to have sex. And I just thought, I don't see how that's possible. Yeah, right. Um, but as Paul's saying here is sex in marriage is, is a challenge. It's actually one of the greatest conflicts um, in marriage counseling is, um, is sex. And so Paul's saying here, it's, it's your duty. Um, I had a friend, Uh, He was, he had a calendar and uh, he had some hearts on it on the calendar. And I was like, uh, What are all those hearts doing? He's like, Those are the days that my wife and I have scheduled sex. And once again, as a young man, I thought that is crazy. Um, But Paul, I think, here is saying, Schedule it if you have to. Um, But he continues in verse 4 A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, A husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Now, in chapter 6, Paul had argued that as Christians, we don't own our bodies. We belong to God. In chapter 7 here, he's saying in the context of marriage, you don't own your own body. It belongs to your spouse. So we get this, right? Even in in my vows uh, to my wife, I said these words, to you alone, Do I commit my eyes and my body until death parts us or our Lord returns? So the evidence that we are not our own is that the two will become one flesh. And so we think about this, even in God's design um, for us, our anatomy, think about this. uh, Males and females have complementary body parts. As, as one guy, Kevin DeYoung, said, marriage must be and only can be between a man and a woman because marriage is not just the union of two persons, but, a profi- but in a profound way, the reunion of a complementary pair. The second point here, as we, as we look at Paul's um, statement here that, that we belong to each other in marriage, is that, if you're taking notes, the gospel has been written on your body with the words, I was made for another. Think about this. The gospel has been written on our bodies. And it says, I was made for another. Hmm. So going back to 1 Corinthians 6, when Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. The gospel is that as a follower of Jesus now, I belong to Jesus. I belong to him. My body is for him and to serve him. So in marriage, in a similar way, uh, my body is no longer my own because now I'm taking my body and uniting it with my wife. So here's just a simple application of what Paul's saying here. Sex is not about you getting what you want when you want it. It's more about mutuality here. So this is a huge paradigm shift in marriage. As one guy said, this is, in, in a Christian marriage, it's not you owe me, it's I owe you. And one of the worst things you can do to another human being is look them in the eye and say, make me happy, meet my needs, serve me, right? And so that's exactly what Paul's saying we can't do in a marriage. This is not about making demands on your spouse. I've often heard uh, 1 Corinthians 7 preached with kind of an emphasis on how uh, a wife needs to be willing to have sex with her husband, but I think that Kind of misses Paul's point here. The emphasis is that sex is not about getting, it's about giving. Now, as a young married man uh, or as a young unmarried man, I thought, you know, marriage is going to be great because sex is that one place where both people can be as selfish as they want and be happy. But I discovered uh, the opposite is true. Um, Doesn't it make sense that in the most intimate part of a marriage, Selfishness really has no place and To the extent that you pursue just getting your own needs met um, It's actually going to hurt the other person and yourself So I guess I would encourage you young people a lot of you uh, are not married and so if you want to work on your sex life now Uh, start doing the dishes, start cleaning, vacuuming, and you'll understand once you get married that sex doesn't start in the bedroom, but in the kitchen. Okay. Here's the point that I'm making. And I think Paul's making here. Be a servant with your body. Be a servant with your body. And so in a marriage, using sex as a weapon to manipulate Or to get what you want, or using your spouse as an object for your pleasure is not God's design. He goes on in verse five He says, Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self control. So, likely, married couples were, were not having sex, and the spouse, for whatever reason, we don't know exactly why they weren't having sex. Maybe they were over-spiritualizing things and saying, you know, sex is not good, that's not God's design. And so what was happening is likely the, the spouse, the other uh, partner, was, would justify going to the temple uh, to, uh, to, to take a prostitute or whatever. They were justifying their sexual immorality because they weren't getting their needs met in the marriage. So this would be the equivalent of a husband or wife resorting to pornography because they're not getting their needs met. And Paul says, "No, no, uh, we can't, we can't do this." And he says, "When you agree for a time, so don't deprive one another, except when you agree for a time." So I think Paul here is assuming that there's going to be communication talking about this when you agree for a time. I know that married couples are not good generally at uh, talking about sex and yet you need to, you need to, you need to talk about your schedules. You need to talk about, you know, seasons change, work schedules change. There's times of month, the ages of your kids, seasons of life. And so I think that, that married couples need to, talk about this he goes on in verse six i i say this as a concession not as a command so he's not even uh commanding times of abstinence i think he's just giving his best advice here that there may be seasons if anything uh to focus on prayer and seeking god you know sex is one of the biggest conflicts in marriage and some people um for health reasons might be unable to have sex, there might be insecurities, um, conflict, etc um, it's so easy to feel alone it's so easy to feel alone. I had a, a couple that came to me a number of years ago and, and they were really struggling and they just um, they said they'd been married for for a few years, and they still had never consummated their marriage they still had never had sex and it was a point of um, deep, deep insecurity and struggle, and they had never really been able to talk to anyone about it. And I just want to encourage you that if this is a, if this is an issue for you um, in your marriage, I, I want to encourage you to get help, to get counsel. Um, the fact that we find this in the Bible should encourage us that we are not alone in this. And obviously, this is not something you just want to talk to anyone about. You should. Marriage is intimate and private, so find someone that you can trust. Okay, so he ends this uh, little section in verse 7. He says, I wish that all people were as I am, but each person has his own gift from God. One person has this gift. Another has that. This is so freeing how he ends this section. I think what he's saying is, there's no pressure here as a Christian. uh, He says that singleness is a great option. There are people that are are gifted with singleness. And so he's saying, I think singleness is a much simpler life, uh, but it's not for everyone, just like marriage is not for everyone. So the last point if you're taking notes is number three, You don't need marriage or sex to be happy. You don't need marriage or sex to be happy. This is great news. Was Jesus happy? Did Jesus live a fulfilled life? Absolutely. And Jesus never had sex. There was never a more fulfilled human being. And he was celibate his whole life. You know, I think in church, a single person could feel like maybe if they're not married, something's wrong with them or there's a pressure to be married. But think about this. The Apostle Paul who wrote this was single and he's encouraging this. Singleness is a great option. It's a way to use your life uh, for the kingdom of God to to serve others in unique ways. Obviously, Jesus was single and so many other people. The the beauty and gift of singleness, I think, is something we should hold up in the church. There's there's so much freedom here as Christians uh, to pursue different lifestyles, um, different ways of honoring Jesus Christ. It's not just you need to get married, you need to have kids, right? It's uh, you can pursue singleness. Um, And so some of the greatest Christians I know uh, are single, and I'm so Uh, inspired by their faith and example. So really what we, we find here in 1 Corinthians 7 is that in its context, sex is a gift. But out of its context, it destroys people, families, churches, even entire nations, and generations can be affected when sex is used out of its context of marriage. We're going to end worshiping and this song in Christ alone is so perfect. It makes me think of the psalmist. uh, I think in Psalm 72, he says, whom have I in heaven, but you, and this earth has nothing beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, As we think about these things, Jesus Christ is enough for us. He has bought us with a price. We are not our own. Veritas, let's use our body to serve um, and to not just gratify our own uh, sinful nature and desires. Let's close in worship. Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for how you have designed us. Thank you that the gospel has been written on us, that, that we are not our own. Thank you for, the, for inventing marriage. Thank you for the gift of marriage. Thank you for the gift of singleness, too, and, and the way that you created the body and, and, and used the body of Christ uh, in so many different ways. Lord, we pray that as we turn our eyes to Jesus, that we will find you meet our deepest needs and desires. We pray in Jesus' name.